Hello, my name is Somin. I work in the artistic name Somatic, and you're listening to my project, Sonic Landscapes of Colour. Through nine interviews, this sound art documentary tells the story of what it's like to grow up as a young person of colour in the Southwest. Underscoring the interviews is a soundscape built out of recording sessions with four non-Western traditional instrumentalists who all have roots in the Southwest. These normally unheard voices are scattered across the rural landscape of Dorset, Somerset, Devon and Cornwall. By bringing them together, this project aims to highlight similarities, celebrate differences and build collective power. But it's important to say this is in no way a definitive guide to how all young people of colour feel or think. We invite you to listen to these intimate lived experiences and reflect on what you hear. Maybe empathy can help us enact meaningful change in the Southwest today. I'll let the participants introduce themselves. My name's Isla Karam Barrow Kumberg Lydia Rachel Isla Jazz Sammy, but you can also call me Samu, which is my Chinese name. I'm 24, 28, 18, 23, 25, 24, 19. I'm 26 years old. In this first episode, we set the scene and dig into each participant's relationship to their schooling, family, culture, community and beyond. I'm mixed heritage. My father's family are from the Caribbean and my mum's half Irish and half English. Kenyan and English. I'm Chinese. I'm a second gen immigrant, so my parents were also born here. And I'm half Senegalese and half white. I'm one quarter Jamaican on my mum's side. Black African. My mum is Indian. And my dad is Jamaican. Technically Scottish and West African, so Ivorian descent. Sierra Leonean, but I was actually born in the Gambia. And then I was only a year old when we moved to England. I was born in Exeter, grew up in Exmouth. Um, North Devon to be exact, been here all my life. I grew up in Cornwall, Somerset, England, for most of my years in Taunton, but a few years in a village in Bridgewater. I actually grew up in the north of England, but I am currently living in South Devon. The southwest, so in Somerset. A place called Reddish, which is just outside of Manchester. I moved from Manchester to Cornwall, age 11. I grew up in Essex till I was eight, and then my mum and my dad moved us to the Ivory Coast. Please be aware, this episode contains swearing brown joy and racially traumatic stories. Please, take care of yourself as you listen. And then when we moved back to England, my mum didn't want to move me and my brother back to London into that, like, environment. My brother was quite impressionable. Young black men, there's a lot of, like, knife crime um, and, like, gang-related activity, which he could have been a part of if he didn't live down here. The place we grew up in, it wasn't rough. There was, like, a a slightly higher crime rate. There was a little bit more of a chance that... I might make some questionable friendships in school and get involved in some dodgy stuff. It was kind of a chance for us to go, right, let's try and see if we can avoid that by moving somewhere that's a little bit more innocent. So we followed my auntie down to Devon when I was 10, and that's where I've stayed. So when you do move from somewhere that's so saturated by colour to somewhere that is so white, it's really such a shock. My mum always tells me that once we were on the way to school or something and I was on the bus with her, and I was like, oh, why are there so many white people on this bus? And my mum was like, oh, be quiet. <laughs> when I was maybe seven, whenever my mum used to 
take me out to town or the park or whatever. If I saw anyone who was of African descent, I'd always ask if they were related to me. My elders are the most important thing to me. They have overcome so much. They have this kind of strength that we can never imagine. Can you imagine embarking on a journey where you're going somewhere you don't know? They don't speak English, but all they had was their family. And they had this kind of perseverance to keep going. They all wanted to come to England. I was actually asking my dad about this not long ago. But why would you come to Devon of all places? Hong Kong's a great place. They said, oh, like coming to England, it's really good opportunities. It's really good for everything. My grandma, she is a badass though. I will give it to her. She's in her 70s, working full time as a chef in a restaurant, cooking traditional Chinese food in Dawlish. And people don't realise how lucky they are to have top chef like that. Our name has a meaning. Kwasi is the name of the tribe, the tribal name. Like, standard, bit like Smith. The can bit on the end means you come from the matriarchal line, so you come from the leader's line. My nan's the leader of the tribe. They see the Western culture as the be-all and end-all of life. If you can have a Western culture, that is 100,000 times better than being educated over there. That is also why they don't teach their mixed-race children their original language. So we were brought up very English, very... British, as opposed to, like, half and half. My dad is the one that has the West Indian blood in him, but I always say that he's the whitest black man you'll ever meet. He sits and plays Sudoku, he listens to classical music, he drinks cups of tea. But my mum, when she had me, she, like, took me up to Brixton to go see my auntie, and she taught her how to do my hair properly, how to cook up salt fish, make fried dumplings, all this. Like, West Indian culture, really, she taught her all that. And my mum went into doing carnival, like, she went to West Indies loads. She made friends here that were um, of colour. She just made sure that I knew the most about where I come from. I remember we went on a school trip. There was like a black family there and a black man. And I swear to God, every single person asked me if that was my dad. I was like, no, I don't even know him. Like, and that is the trend that set pretty much my entire life. I definitely have inherited his inability to express emotion in the same way that most other people can, which I think is partly to do with the African upbringing, is they show their affection in things that are done, so by putting food on the table. But he was thoughtful, so I suppose the most prominent memory is my mum had got me a helium balloon for my birthday. It was my birthday, and it blew away as I was coming out of the school doors. And obviously, being like a six-year-old, crying my eyes out, so she bought me another one on the way home and a nail in the top of the door as I walked through it burst it. So, like, so that's two. And I thought my dad was going to tell me off for being emotional and crying about it because he didn't really like stuff like that. But he disappeared. And when he came back, he came back with like a little brooch that he'd obviously searched everywhere to find a brooch that matched this dolphin balloon. And he'd do things like that as opposed to come over and give me a hug. That wouldn't happen. And you didn't expect it to happen. But it also means that I find when I'm supposed to react in a way like that now, I tend to fall short because it's not natural for me to think that person's upset, let me give them a hug. That person's upset, let me make them a cup of tea is more what I would think in my head. So me and my dad were quite similar in that way. He had high standards. He was very stern and respect was a big thing. So I used to speak fluent Chinese, uh, fluent Cantonese with my parents until I went to school. 
and I completely just lost my native tongue. I just spoke English and I always felt like I always wanted to be like everyone else. I didn't understand like identity. I was having such an identity crisis at like four years old, <laughs> but I always just wanted to be back at home. I didn't ever feel like completely comfortable to be myself. And I used to have so much racial abuse at school. You know, people would say ching chong or chicken fried rice or pull their eyes at me, call me yellow. I've had people call me all sorts of things like banana. I always found that a really weird one. And actually, I was called that by another Asian person. They said, oh, you're banana, banana. And I was like, what? And I was so confused what it meant because I was only a child. And they were basically referring to me as yellow on the outside, white on the inside. And I was like, how rude, I'm not white. But what's weird was when I was younger, I actually thought that I was half white, half Asian, because as I was always speaking English and I had somewhat very Western characteristics because I grew up here, is I thought I was half white. And then I guess it was like, as I started to grow up and I got to like secondary school, I moved around a lot, 10 different homes and all around Devon, from like Exmouth to Newton Abbott to Paynton to Torquay to, to Exeter to Dawlish. <laughs> Growing up here, for me, it's made me really adaptable. I feel like I can adapt in different situations. I already felt like an outsider, but being like the new girl in school made you feel even more like that. What was really special when I moved to a different school in Exeter, there was this one girl who joined my school and she was Korean. And I think she was someone who really helped me. It was kind of like seeing someone who actually related to me and someone who kind of looked like me. And I was like, wow, I'm not alone. We just fell in love with each other. We became sisters. And yeah, it was this really strong bond that we had that we could actually just connect over our culture. Both having this kind of Western upbringing because she was, she was um, raised in London. So for me, that was a really big part of becoming more confident and embracing myself and just like letting people in. One of the aims of this project, Sonic Landscapes of Colour, is to build connection and demonstrate that as a young person of colour living in the Southwest today, you're not alone. Our family can have a big role in supporting this and shaping who we are too. Proud that my parents and my grandparents um, made it over here and created this life for us. I think that's an amazing thing and I think about it quite a lot. Massively strong sense of work ethic and I think a lot of immigrant families have the same thing and it's something that is not hereditary but it's definitely something you pick up on as you grow up and you see how hard your parents have worked to make this life for you and you go jesus i want to i want to do you proud i want to make sure that i smash it i feel like it's difficult with like first generation like immigrants because you have such like a weight on your shoulders like we're not well off at all like i need to make money <laughs> so that i can look after my family and i can give my mum what she deserves because she's had a not a great upbringing and she deserves so much more than to just wake up and work every single day and take care of us like she she deserves to be able to relax and like the way that I go off and travel and like have fun with my friends or like go and like see art galleries or whatever like she deserves to be able to do that too but she can't because she's not been given the tools <laughs> to be able to get a good job like she's she never went to primary school she she like has dyslexia as well so she can't read and write properly I put so much pressure on myself especially in this like society where like the cost of living is going up like graduates graduate jobs don't pay well I need to be doing amazingly so that I can look after her and my entire family so What's it like to grow up in the Southwest? 
resentment as to why I've been brought up in an area like this. The fact that my parents probably didn't realise that it was as racist as it is. I guess I just questioned why I was here because I've got family all over London. The areas that they live in is massively multicultural. Now it's completely different, but we're the only two people of colour in the whole school. In the North, there was a lot more sort of cultural diversity. In my school, I think I was possibly the only person of colour. I mean, I've never had any black friends. Um, They've always been white. Subconsciously, if there was two people in the room, I probably would talk to the white person, and that's ridiculous. Okay, well, in primary school, yeah, it wasn't too bad there. Funnily enough, didn't have that much of a problem with sort of racial prejudice or anything along those lines. I'm pretty sure my dad would scare parents coming to pick us up in the playground. I mean, I was quite outgoing in school, got on with everyone, scared a lot of people because I was a lot bigger than them, and obviously I was black. So they asked lots and lots and lots of questions. School was not good. (laughs) Not only because I was so different in my appearance, but also because I deal with depression and anxiety quite badly. So growing up, I was extremely shy to the point where I was almost mute around my classmates. And every single time I said something other than, yeah, they'd applaud me, which didn't actually help. It just made me not want to talk even more. It's a confusing one because I felt kind of like an alien, like an outsider, but at the same time I really wanted to not be that. I wanted to be, I don't want to say normal, but I just couldn't be, which was really stressful on young me and me now. I still struggle to um, properly express myself in a way that doesn't feel too ham-fisted. The first time I really noticed it was like when we were doing drawings and we were colouring in and then there wasn't a pencil for my skin colour. There was like a black one and like a pink one. And then or someone would be like, pass the skin colour. And the skin colour was always beige or like a light pink. But that wasn't my skin colour. So I'd have to do like, I'd have to get the black pencil and there's like pink pencil and make myself like a weird zebra kind of thing. And I was colouring in. So that was weird. I feel like one vivid memory for me is uh, I had this friend who, when I first met her, she was like, oh, we can't sit next to each other because black and white don't mix. And I was really baffled because obviously my mum is black, the rest of my family is black or mixed. Um, and all my peers around me are white, so it's never been like an issue for me to even think that I was that different, so I was just a bit taken aback. Um, obviously, I like, went home crying to my mum, and she was just like, what, what, what could she really say at this point? She just kind of explained to me that people are like that, and that's just something that you have to deal with here. The whole of my primary school was just not a great experience. Like, I would walk home from school and people would be shouting, like, the N-word at me. The main culprit, her mum worked at the school as well, so they just kind of, like, turned it and said that I was bullying her and, like, everyone was just, like, more likely to believe that I would be bullying someone else because of, like, my colour of my skin. Especially because my mum isn't from this country and she she doesn't quite understand, like, the way that this society is sort of run, so it's not even like she could properly defend me in, in a way that another parent who, like, knows how this whole thing works could. Moving back here um, has been so triggering for me. I don't like to leave my house. I don't like to walk around here. I know that people that did like hurt me back then aren't here now, or some of them still obviously do live here, but I'm scared to walk on like certain streets, like where things have happened, where like people have like thrown things at me or like I've been spat on in the street here. Like people have egged my house, people have like like the police have like wrongly arrested my brother for things because they've been like, oh, there was a black person there and he's the only black person they knew. So here, for me, moving back here after uni especially has just been like horrible. It's just a really triggering environment.
black people didn't really want to go to my kind of school, to grammar school. Mm. I guess because it, it has the notion already that it's quite an elitist, white, middle class type of school. If you can avoid it, you just will. It's just too much trouble <laughs> to really go through the microaggressions and like even that just outward racism. And it definitely got better from like year eight onwards. I did not experience like racism in secondary school because yeah. one, my brother went to the same secondary school as me. And I think people were just a lot less like outright racist there. It's more like covert, which obviously isn't good. But And the secondary school was a bit different, I guess. My year wasn't so bad. There was a group of lads in the year above me. Um... And they were all like EDL supporters and things like that. I would get stopped by them in numerous places out of school or in school and they, they would chase me or they would they attack me with groups of them. Just carried on for years and years up until the age of about 21. I remember one time there were five of them in a big car park and I was just on my own with two girls and they stopped me and they're like they my cousins have been down recently and they was like, oh, where's your M-word cousins gone? They all just started hitting on me, ended up with bust lip, like bust eyebrow, broken nose, all that. Yeah, five guys on one time. <laughs> Made me feel like shit. Yeah, I had to be a bully, I guess. If I'd allow people to be racist and pick a problem with me because I am different, I would be taken advantage of. I had to act as if nothing was annoying me. Like, I was big and bad and like, do you know what I mean? Because I, I had to be stronger than they were making me feel. I don't want it for anyone else and I worry about my little sister as right now in that secondary school because she's mixed heritage as well. All the boys fancy, like, the white girls or, like, everyone wants to be friends with, like, these people. I always feel like the outsider. Who's the ugliest girl in school? Kumba. Well, Kumba's here. Like, just a lot of disgust towards me and, like, just a lot of racism and fetishization, I think, as well. I don't know if it's fortunately or unfortunately grew boobs faster than all the other people and they were just really weird about it and like I don't know just started rumours and I think high school was a bit of an issue because I went from an all-girls school to an all-boys school mm. and the culture there is so different so like at the all-boys school it was just sort of daily microaggressions and I wasn't really prepared for that. That's why I don't feel like I'm like worthy you know I've definitely got higher self-esteem than I did then. I got punished a lot in school as well by teachers. I was excluded 16 and a half times. I think at the start, I could not have acted as bad as they made out. By the end of it, I was behaving badly because I was constantly playing into it. I was constantly treated as if I was the devil child. And I don't know if any of that was just because I might have been a bit naughty in the past and stuff like that. And they rode on that also, the fact that I was different. That's why they would punish me big style, do you know what I mean? There's a lot of things I question. I think, oh, surely not. Well, just no GCSEs, didn't finish college, didn't do any of it. And I'm surprised to do anything creative now or do like feel like I can do anything now because I've failed everything else in the past. So now I only have myself to work for and, and to show that I can do things. And it took me a long time to be able to do that. I needed support as well because I probably felt like crap a lot of my childhood and a lot of my teenage years. So I needed youth centres. I met a group of girls that were also getting into that together and there was a lot of hope attached to it and a lot of like, there's more to Taunton, there's more to these immature people around us. It was very easy to kind of look past the bullying I was getting from boys because it was just so much more the world had to offer. You're listening to Sonic Landscapes of Colour. Business teacher came storming in and she goes, where is your sister today? 
And I said, what? This is in the middle of my class. That's like, everyone's gone silent. I said, I don't have a sister. She was like, where's your sister? Like, and I was like, and my English teacher was looking at me like, what the fuck is going on? And I was like, I don't have a sister. I don't know who you're talking about. And she goes, where's Dana? And I said, Dana's not my sister. And she goes, oh, well, you look the same. I was like, do we? And then my friend, she was like, are you going to rage or are you going to take this one on the chin? And I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to let her walk out really embarrassed. I remember my friend saying to me, the only thing that I can see that is the same is your hair. Everyone else knew what they wanted to be when they grew up, but I just wanted to have long blonde hair and blue eyes because if you asked any of the boys, that would be their type, but that was never going to be me. I remember one time, it was like the rule in primary school, you couldn't have your hair down if you were a girl. I took it out and I was like, let me go everywhere, like my full afro was out. And then this dinner lady came up to me, she said, Lydia, put your hair up. Then she went over to the white girls at the other end of the playground and they had their hair down. It was obviously like straight hair and she didn't say anything to them. She just walked past them. I almost felt, I don't know if dirty is the right word, but it just felt like my hair was like too scraggly, you know? It, was, it wasn't what people wanted to see. When I was in kindergarten, I took my natural hair out for the first time at my school. So my natural afro. Kids are stupid, <laughs> so not a lot of them understood. And I was made fun of quite a bit, and that made me fall back into my shell, sadly. That affected me to the point where I'm still very insecure about my hair, even though that was way over a decade ago now. <laughs> I had my hair very short very tidy um, all the way through school. I didn't have afro or anything like I have now because I felt different if I did that, do you know what I mean? So I used to just have shape up and tidy like fade, like army cut. I grew my hair for my son because if he's got hairstyle like me, then my, my girl's been like braiding it and cornrowing it and stuff. So like she's used to doing it. If Because if he's got afro hair, then she can do it with him as well. When I was in secondary school, no one like was interested in me at all, braided my hair. Suddenly, everyone's coming through the woodwork. And I was like, right, so you guys want me to change how I look, be less like my natural, authentic self. You know, there's a massive thing with professionals thinking that, like, natural hair isn't professional. Even within, like, the black community, people are more favourable to women who wear, like, wigs or wear, like, braids or who look a way that's more westernised, I guess. I used to have quite a short, like, tight afro and then year eight, nine, started growing it out. And that's when stuff... Oh, it, it reached the sense of, like, being a novelty because, oh, he's got a big afro. Blurring the lines between, is this a good thing? Am I defined by it or do I define it? Which is something I still haven't figured out because I've had now this hairstyle for, like, ten years. And it definitely is me. Like, I feel if I ever cut my hair, I worry that I would just not be the same person, but I don't want to be defined by it. That's coupled with being the only brown kid, you know, or one of, like, three brown kids in the whole year. Oh, can I touch your hair? But your hands were already on my hair. So the way that I connect with my Jamaican culture is, like, I love getting my hair done. I love doing my hair in, like, traditional styles and getting box braids and things like that and, like, tying it up in headscarves. And it's the way that I care about myself because I used to hate my hair, didn't want it to be visibly black, but now I love that about it. There was no black people around to ask. I remember her stopping this random black lady in Exeter to ask her how she did her hair once, because my mum had no idea. There was, when I was growing up, there was only one black hairdresser in Exeter. There's more now, there's a couple more, but I still think there's only three 
that you would go to, and that was difficult because I always wanted the hair that my friends had, like long and silky, and I had an afro. And we were pulled out of school if the school got nicked because the last thing my mum wanted to do was cut her hair off because you're not getting a nick came through a full-blown afro. And for years, my mum permed it chemically straight because it was still the rage then, but it was the only way that we both could handle it. And then as I got older, I took on more responsibility and I looked after it myself. And now I feel like my hair's become quite a big part of my culture. That is how I define myself and also what comes out in the black side of me, like my froze, like my proud and joy. Um, I was uptown with my brother and there was this old couple and they walked up to me and they said, wow, I love your hair. I get that quite a lot around here because it's different. And I said, thank you very much. And they said, where are you from? And then we had the whole conversation about origins and they said, oh, what do the beads mean in your hair? I lied and I think they know I lied. My brother looked at me and he knew I'd had enough of the conversation. And it was just question after question after question after question. Ignorant questions. And I said, it's for every animal that I've killed in the, on the African plains. And just walked away, just left them. And like the gobsmacked look on their face. And my brother was like, I think she's had enough of your ignorant questions. So um, maybe you could tone it down next time. And that's the only time I've ever lost my temper with somebody. I've never screamed racist in someone's face. My my te my reaction does tend to be, um, like if you can't think of anything more intelligent to say, what does that say yeah. about you? Because it's very obvious. Like, like no shit. Yeah. I'm black. Good one. Like, can you think of something else now? One thing that always sticks out in my head is how whenever there was a um, assembly and they talk about like Africa or they talk about children starving or whatever, you would feel every single person turn around to look at you. <laughs> and it's, it's so embarrassing. You just want to like curl up into a little ball because you didn't know any of that. You've never had that life before and everyone's looking at you as if you are that starving child. And it just really makes you feel like that odd one out. I had like a lot of odd experiences in class when we were like learning about like the slave trade. So we were like watching Roots and everyone's there turning around staring at me. Are you OK? Like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, <laughs> it's not directly related to me. The only thing that um, I could like see reflected was looking at people being made into slaves or were second class citizens. And you sit there the entire time feeling awkward and you feel like everyone's looking at you. And they probably are because the only thing that you can relate to is that black person. Learning about the slave trade in year eight, it was not a fun experience. <laughs> because our teacher was just so awkward about the whole thing. We didn't even really learn anything about it. Doing research about it now, I know way more about the slave trade than I did when I was taught in year eight. And we weren't even taught it from like, a perspective of someone who was enslaved or, you know, how these people might feel. It was just like facts, like this happened and this happened and this happened, as if it was just, you know, just any event in history. Yeah. It made me feel angry because even though I didn't really know much about it, I knew there was more to it. I didn't know why they would keep something like that from us. When we'd learn about, like, Tudors or whatever, we'd do it in so much detail. But learning about something that, you know, this country and especially this city had a lot, to partake in. It was just weird to not 
learn the whole story. The schools I go to in my community are all built on the backs of slaves. When you think about it too much, it makes you guilty. It's like live with the enemy, if you get what I mean, in the sense that your like direct ancestors have like died for this. I don't take it lightly. I, I'm so thankful for all, you know, has happened. But the way that it's happened is just so, like, horrific. And the way that your friend's ancestors might have, like, killed your ancestors, you have to think about that. We read of Mice and Men, and there was a character called Crooks who was, like, the, the Negro slave. Um, and I had a friend who I thought was my friend. She would always, like, refer to me as Crooks. And I was like, this just isn't on. I think because of growing up here and being so, like, I don't want to, like, upset anyone. I don't want to, like, rock the boat and, like... I don't want people to be mean to me. I'm just sort of like, okay, that's fine. Like, <laughs> I'm just a person who's grown up having like low self-esteem and like low confidence because of all like the racism I've faced. It's I can't just suddenly become confident and be like, no, that's not okay. Until I sort of become comf- comfortable in myself to be like, I actually don't want to be like you guys. I want to be myself, and I'm, I'm confident and happy being like brown and having my own culture and things. I'll go on to this topic first, actually, beauty. I always found beauty a really difficult thing. Like, I never saw myself as beautiful because I never really had someone, besides my mum, obviously my mum is my hero, but I never saw anyone outside of my family circle, really. I studied film and drama, so representation... This is a fun topic. There is not enough Asian representation. There's not enough people of colour on all sorts of art. I grew up watching a lot of movies. My parents working like seven days a week in a takeaway. So when I get home from school, all I have is my friend, which is the TV. (laughs) When I was younger, if I had to look up to someone, especially in like magazines, they weren't someone that looked like me. So I had this vision of beauty But when I grew up, I saw amazing work like Lucy Liu and Kill Bill. I watched that at a very young age. (laughs) And in Charlie's Angels as well, she was the only person that I kind of really saw. Until I broadened the other work that you can see, I loved watching Chinese martial art movies with my dad. So Jackie Chan, pure amazing legend to me. Bruce Lee, like all these amazing people. But then they're men. And I didn't really see any women. And besides like being used as like exotic subjects of like sexual inferior people. People are always telling me I'm exotic. The way that people just obsess over my skin colour is sort of a fetishization. They love that I'm exotic and exciting. And they like that I'm different and they just want to be able to say that, oh, they got with a black girl in the group chat with the boys and that's really exciting for them sounds basic but like an object you know i'm not a person i'm just i'm just there for them like the way that men will just break you down into components they don't care about me they just care about the color of my skin i'm not beautiful and i'm mixed race i'm beautiful because i'm mixed race because i loved film and i spent a lot of my escapism through everything i was going through was film but with a lot of films there were never black characters or when there were black characters there were all so i thought that's just how the world was and i thought there wasn't space for black people anyway so it, you just kind of learn to like think that's just how it is really but now re-watching step up re-watching this i'm like I'm sure there's things I've taken in myself and I had to unlearn. I am really lucky that um, my parents are really proud of their cultures and it's always been something that's been like very much celebrated in our house. My parents as like mixed race couple have built this life and had kids and like, you know, doing well. I think it's something that they're really proud of and that's something I want to 
continuously celebrate and I'm grateful that we were fed Indian food and Jamaican food and there was always reggae or bangra or any other offshoot of Afro-centric music being played in the house and that's something that I think has really normalised the idea of being okay with being different. We managed to take these two very drastically different cultures and bring them into one and create like this melting pot. And that's really what's happened all over the world since the beginning of time, really. When I think of my culture, it's Chinese culture. It's more than just one word because it can be food, it can be mannerisms, the way we speak, the way we embrace one another. You can tell when it's culture, taking off your shoes in the house. I'd say that I feel connected a bit more to it now, but I didn't used to because I was obviously trying so hard to like assimilate. Um, and I feel like, especially being mixed and living here, and I have one black parent, it's like, you don't want to come across as like fake, as in like, you know, you're just sort of like dipping in and out of cultures and like, I'm just like trying to fit in with my like Senegalese culture. Obviously being in Cornwall, and being at an age where everyone's starting to find their own identity, I felt very othered, like, culturally from everyone I knew, especially when it was a case of going around to a friend's house and it was like a, you know, wow, this is not my home. This is very different. What's for dinner? Chicken dippers and chips. Nice. Cool. Um, that's a novelty. There's a very thin line of appreciating something and appropriating it. So food, for example, sweet and sour chicken, egg fried rice, um, a lot of these things aren't culturally authentic. We don't have those foods when we're having like celebration, but then they will say our delicacies are smelly or they'll say it's gross. I think for me, because I came directly from Africa, I think culture for me means being an African. I love it because it means I'm different from loads of people here. I also love it because when I do find another person that's an African, we have that shared culture. I was adopted as a baby, so I don't have any connection to Zambian culture. But I would like to, and maybe when I have enough money, I'll go travelling there. My traditional culture, my tribal culture, I'm part of the Luya tribe. That doesn't really relate to me currently. It's more just like a fascinating tidbit. And it just makes me quite sad that I don't have that, you know. I've never even been to Jamaica, and I feel like if I went there, it might feel like I'd come home. But I'm also aware that you hear things about how mixed-race people or second-generation immigrants and things will go back to the countries where they're originally from, and they sort of feel outcast there as well. So it's sort of like there's no place for me here, almost. You know, like, I'm rejected here by some people, but then I'd also be rejected there, so where do I go? I find it difficult. When we moved to the Ivory Coast, I was too white. I live here and I'm too dark, so where the fuck do you fit in? It's like a sense of belonging, really, more than anything, and like a way of finding your place in the world outside of either your hobbies or your work or your friends. It's like something that's quite what's the word ingrained i mean when you when you consider culture it's it's like food art music um tradition we'd moved to a new place in a new culture without one parent so you adopt the culture of the one that you've got and the society that you're in already so i suppose it's brainwashed me a little bit mm -hmm. yeah um i mean i connect with a lot of black culture like online like i've had to 
almost look up how to be black because I know there's not one specific way to be but the way that society I guess sees race as a monolith has really impacted me. I know more about American black culture unfortunately than British black culture. You know being a black British person is wildly different to being like a black American or a black African. There's been this conversation between me and my brother, whereas mine is like specific to where we're from. He is the black British identity and he takes that on as more of like a cultural um, community that he's part of. Perhaps because he's grown up in Cornwall for longer than I have. So he's grown up with no black culture at all. And so he's gone for the sort of more stereotypical black British or black American culture because that's what he identifies with. Whereas I find specifically like the stuff that we grew up with, like going to the patty shop and sitting outside with the old boys, you know, eating the harder bread out of the packet or whatever. Like All of the young people of colour interviewed for this project have spent the majority of their lives growing up in Britain. But what is Britishness and what role does it play in forming identity? I think I'm as British as anyone else. I don't say I'm English, if I'm being honest. I say I'm British sometimes. I tend to say I'm Chinese, British born, so I'm a BBC. You're British born Chinese. Some people from the Asian talk just message me in like Chinese, like characters. And I'm like, oh shit, I don't know how to reply. (laughs) I'm like, sorry, I don't understand, like in the Chinese characters. And they're like, oh, but like, you've got a Chinese name and it's like yeah about that yeah I'm I'm British born and they're like oh that's so good and I'm like yeah I don't feel that connected to like my English culture well I probably should because I've grown up here my entire life because one English culture to me is a bit boring um there's not that much going on like music culture queer culture like British culture it's just the way we eat the way we drink the way we where we mingle with people. If someone drops a plate in a pub or a glass, then we're all going to go, way, you know, like, that's a British thing. Um, You know, I love Yorkshire tea, I love fish and chips, like, this is my home. In an interesting way, I feel more British than I do Indian or Jamaican. I probably wouldn't last longer than a week if you dropped me in India right now. It's an interesting one because Britain, as it is right now, isn't, it doesn't really have its own culture. It's a mishmash of so many different things over so many years that like, you naturally kind of just fall into it if you've grown up here. Um, I don't know, maybe like going to the pub in the rain is like quite a British culture. <laughs> I mean, I'm quite lucky because my mum's Scottish, so quite a lot of the Scottish culture has been passed down to us. There's certain things we do. We always have steak pie on New Year's Day. I was pretty much brought up drinking whiskey and honest, brutally honest, that's definitely passed down to me. If I I don't like something, I will definitely tell you, and it will be loud, and it will be angry, but I need to get that out before I can chill out and calm down. Our family was very loud, vocal house. You've got no passive aggressivism, like no slamming doors, no stomping upstairs, no tutting under your breath. It would be a screaming match, the air would clear and you'd move on. Like, I've been brought up British, the things that embody the British culture, I suppose, has been passed down to me. I'm quite stoic in a way. I eat ridiculously spicy foods pretty much all the time. British, urban. Like, I'm into my hip-hop, I'm into my graffiti. Um, like, hanging out at a skate park is like a, a pastime. I think there's things of British culture, but I feel like I don't belong anywhere. I feel like I'm in my own... I feel like I'm floating. I don't know, in limbo. (laughs) 
I feel like I'm the wrong person to answer all this. Yeah, I don't feel British, I don't feel African, I don't feel anything. That may be the eccentricness of British culture, how you can be yourself, be your own person. I feel like in Britain it's quite easy. That's what I kind of liked when I moved to England, was like there's something for everyone, even for people that feel kind of lost, there's people that feel exactly the same way. When I moved out of Taunton, um, I met a load of black alternative people. I didn't know that you could be black and alternative because all the alternative people I knew were white. I remember I had in Taunton, I had Doc Martens, and I remember the black side of my family, not my sisters necessarily, but my brother's wife and stuff. She was like, what are you wearing? Like, how are you going to find a husband dressing like this? And was really into, like, 90s clothes and like you know that vibe and so I was like so I didn't associate it with black people I was like well they don't get it being a black emo I guess it was hard from white people and from black people you know from white people it's like you don't fit in you know you're not part of our community you can't be like us you can't like you know have that little side <laughs> fringe thing but from black people it's like you're not supposed to be like that, you know. Black people are supposed to be a certain way. You can't listen to that type of music. Black people don't listen to that music. Black people don't dress like that. It's really hard, especially if you're... Well, I'm not... I'm female, so maybe it's a little bit easier, but being, you know, male-presenting and queer and black is very... It's a very kind of, like, hard thing, and within the black community, it's still very not accepted. I'm still, like, you know, you'll read so much and have so many lovely discussions about racism and on internet and stuff, but when it comes to being gay or something, it goes all out of the window, all logic goes out the window, and you just get all this hatred, and it's like, how can you be so against all this, but happily say all this homophobic stuff? And being in a Christian household struggling with your sexuality is... It's hard. You you don't know whether your feelings are wrong. You don't know whether you can tell people. Those are like two communities that are close to you, and you should be able to to be able to talk about anything. But it's it's something that's so taboo, and that makes you feel so isolated. It's like you don't even want to go to church anymore. You don't even want to like believe in it. It's just like it's just like a chore. So a mixed race. I'm a woman. I'm LGBT plus, and I'm also autistic. So finding communities in any of those little, I guess I could just say, like, um, pockets of people <laughs> means a lot to me, as it feels like there's an outlet that I can relate to in a way, even if they don't get all of my experiences. Them being able to understand or at least get some of them means a great deal to me personally. I feel like community for me, it's all about strength and culture because it's coming from these relatable factors of your cultural roots. I don't think I felt community when I was younger. I think the communities that I had was, so school, and then I was a ballerina for, for about eight years. My friends are my community, I guess, being alternative and maybe like, part of a queer community. I've got a lot of queer friends and I feel like I myself am queer. Maybe community. Community means just feeling belonging. When I lived in London, I was surrounded by people that looked like me and I was very comfortable in that. 
because, you know, you had shared experiences. Even as a kid, like, you do pick up on things, the ways people speak, you know, the way people act. Because there was a large black population where I lived, it was like not living with family, but it's as if, you know, everyone's your auntie, your uncle, you know, like that. Community is like belonging feeling like you have people around you who understand you um, and you feel comfortable and safe with. I think I definitely haven't grown up with a community because I live here and I don't have any like friends in the village and I, I never have. As we've sort of grown up, we've sort of developed our own sort of community. Like I have like family who are in Birmingham, my family are Muslim. So we like go there now to like celebrate Eid. There's two sides of community in my head. There's like this family, culturally based community, you know, the, the type of sense of community you get when you go to a wedding or some kind of big family event. And there's loads of things that are happening that only you associate with that group of people. And then the other side of community for me is like the, the music scene in the Southwest. It's a pretty massively tight knit community. Well, I think every time I do something, it's not just for me. It's always for the community. Like, if someone said something racist to me, it's not just to me. It's to my mum, it's to my, my sisters, it's to my parents, like, my grandparents, and it's to our whole community. So community is shaped the way I think because the way I go throughout all of life, it's not... I'm not just thinking about me all the time. I always feel like I have a community behind me to support me, but also who I have to think about when I do things. Someone is not just one person. A lot of people have helped shape who I am, and an auntie who is being attacked in California is just as much my auntie as someone else's, even if I don't know them. Because it's at the end of the day, I'm still thinking that we're humans. We should be think thinking from the heart. And even if that's someone who is white, if they're attacked, that hurts me too because I'm human, which is why when these attacks were happening in America, specifically during coronavirus, when it was getting very strong and a lot of people were hurting, it was a very sad time. There was a massive peak in attacks for the Asian community, but it wasn't just our community. The Mexican community were also getting attacked because some of them like looked Asian and it was just people going out of their way to hurt anyone and blame someone, but I also think the coronavirus just fueled a lot of anti-Asian, racist kind of behaviour. Because it's so rural and because of the way that family structures and friend structures work down here, once you've made friends, they're friends for life. Because everyone will come home, the community will just get older with you. I think community feels a bit lonely sometimes. But other times it feels really good um, when my friends do defend me or they do try and understand. Like, I was at a club one night in the sky, I had my hair, like, twisted out um, in, like, with extensions, and this guy's like, oh, my God, I love your hair, and he tried to touch it. My friend was just like, she put her arm out, she went, no, that's what we call a microaggression. It was just all about helping each other, like, get, get to somewhere, do you know what I mean? Like, if you need someone needs help, you help them. Like, we've just had a baby, he's 11 weeks old, but, like, the women from the pubs and that, like, they bought us, like, Christmas presents and stuff to put under a tree for him, and, like, loads of clothes and, and all that, like, it's just, like, little things, like, no-one's got a lot but they're helping each other out, do you know what I mean? Like, that's a huge thing. When there's nothing, like, everyone makes sure everyone's got something when there's nothing, do you know what I mean? Because there aren't that many people down here who share my heritage or something similar to my heritage. And so the closest thing I have to community in that sense would have to be my sister.
My mom's one of these people where she doesn't really talk about things like that. She experienced like a lot of racism here, probably more than me. And like, she doesn't let it affect her. She's very assertive. She's very confident in herself. And I, we were talking about this yesterday and I just said to her, like, I wonder if it's because you've, you grew up in your community. Like she moved here when she was 20. So she had like that time to be set and be like, this is me, I'm a black woman. Like I, I have my culture, like I feel confident in myself. Whereas like, I've always sort of not fitted in. I've always been like too black, too white. Like I've not ever felt comfortable in my own skin. So I feel like that's maybe why it affected me so much more than it affected her. You're listening to Sonic Landscapes of Colour, where at the moment we're looking at the effects of the small communities we live in here in the southwest. So you'd have Ginger Sally from down the road. You'd have um, Fat Pete up the hill. And then you have Black Jazz around the corner, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what it is. It's like, because it's a small town, instead of just saying someone's last name or what they do, yeah. they will use their difference first before they even say the person's name. I was quite a small town person. It means that you learn to drive at a very young age because you have to be able to get places because everything's so spread out. It means that you know that your friends aren't always going to be free because they've got responsibilities on their farms or their parents' farms. Or It means that when a snow day happens, you're not going to be spending it with your friends because they're all going to be snowed in in whatever farm they're on. You can't have the fun town um, snow days. Um, it means that campouts were a staple of our entire life because, like, why should you have to go out and spend money when you can do it in a field? Yeah. And you start drinking, you start smoking, you start doing all that at a very young age because your parents are so spread out, they ain't going to find you unless you live in the centre of town and then there is absolutely nothing you can get away with without your parents finding out. Absolutely nothing. Um, and now it happens to my brother. He can't get away with anything in town without me finding out mm. because there are eyes everywhere and everyone knows everyone. Yeah. City life for us, when you hear about it, is stressful. It's invisible. Like, nobody knows who you are. Anything can happen to you. And, like, here, if something happens to you, you know that the third door down from whatever's happened to you, there's going to be someone in it that you know. Mm. It's very safe. You become an adult at a very young age because you're expected to fly the nest earlier, you're expected to start a family earlier, um, and you're expected to... Education is less important in a rural town because you're expected to join the family business or get an apprenticeship so you can work and learn at the same time. Biddeford's an old town, it's got lots of history. It's, it's the kind of place where like, not a lot is going on. It used to have a lot of things going on, but it was the second busiest port in the country years and years ago. Yeah. It was like Bristol, then Biddeford. Like, this is where tobacco and sugar first came. That's so Richard Grenville and all like, the Freemasonries and all that, that's Biddeford. There's hardly any nightclubs. There's half as many pubs. There's not really like a decent cinema or like a bowling alley or anything to go to. So the kids don't really have a lot to do. So um, especially when we were kids, we would sit in the park and get drunk in massive groups. Then it would turn to like people acting crazy. Some violence, parties, vandalism, because they're trying to entertain themselves in a, in a quiet place where there is no entertainment. Especially living here now, until I move back to the city, I know that I'm never going to feel comfortable and confident here and I'm never going to be able to be my best self because I felt so happy and like confident in myself and in my like 
like blackness or whatever um, when I was in Nottingham and now I'm here and I'm trying hard to make sure that I fit into this mold all over again and it's so detrimental to like my mental well-being because it's just it's just like a really horrible triggering environment for me and I think that's what's been so amazing to go off to uni and like to go and travel is not reinventing myself but like leaving behind all of like the shackles of thinking like or like that girl who like experienced like you know horrible times to being like I'm like this fully fledged adult now um, it definitely like opened my mind a lot instead of seeing myself from everyone else's point of view of like like the brown person or how I thought they perceived me I just was like me just like going off into the world exactly how I am right now I've, I love seeing how the world could have been so different if I'd have just grown up somewhere else and the way I view the world would have been so different and my experiences would have been so different I just think it's really interesting I've got so many friends here my family's here and I love everyone that is around me but I do think about if I'd you know been brought up in a in a city you know and I'd gone to a school where it was a lot more culturally diverse. I wouldn't feel as alone. You know, I'd have friends who... I'd have loads of friends who are of different cultures, not just one or two, you know, and I'd have... Even if I couldn't connect to my culture at home, I could connect to my culture with, you know, other people's families, you know? I'd have mixed-race friends, I'd have black friends, um, and I'd be able, to be able to connect with each other's cultures in a way, and I feel like growing up here, there hasn't been a lot of that. I really love other cultures and I think that the way they do things are so much better in some cases. Like the way that non-Western societies raise their children as like a community, I think is like so amazing. And I feel like if I had children, I would want them to be in a community like with their, like the way my mum was raised with like their grandparents and their aunties and all the other kids running around together. I think it's so isolating here, not just for me because I am like a person of colour, but just in general, I feel like this society is very much like, it's an individual society, so it's very much like every man for themselves. I want to see what's out there. My name's Somin, and you've been listening to the first episode of my project, Sonic Landscapes of Colour. I hope you've enjoyed it. Firstly, I'd like to say a big thank you to all the participants, Ayla, Beryl, Karam, Isla, Kumba, Lydia, Jazz, Rachel and Sammy for sharing their time, stories and lived experiences with us. Thank you to all the musicians too, Tommy for his sitar, Kutub for his oud, Michel for his kuisi and tambour and Iwan for his guimbiri, fujara, mbira and frame drum. I hope you found our stories interesting, insightful and hopefully supportive. If they touch you at all, please do let us know via social media. You can find us at sonic underscore landscapes underscore of underscore colour. Thank you to my mentors, Sonia Dave from Devon Development Education, Malcolm Richards from the Culture Yard and Joe Loosemore from the BBC. And finally, thank you to my funders, the Emergence Foundation, Arts and Culture at the University of Exeter, everyone who donated as part of the Dance Against Racism event in Exeter, who, without which, this project would not be possible. If you'd like to take the educational resource from this piece into a school you're working in, please get in contact with our educational partner, Devon Development Education. And finally, my name's Somin. I work under the artistic name Somatic, I'm a sound artist, designer, producer, composer and DJ based in Exeter. 
You can find more of my work at www.somin, that's S-O-M-I-N, somatic, S-O-M-A-T-I-C dot com, or at somin.somatic on all socials. Thank you for listening.